Hey folks, welcome to CTF Radio. I'm Adam D, and I have with me Zardis. Zardis, you want to say hi? Hey everybody! Awesome. And so we have a a very uh, special guest today, and a super fun episode. And what we've kind of been thinking about, we've been talking a lot to various people that are you know teams or people that are directly involved in CTFs that play uh, Capture the Flag games as a team. And so, kind of Jan, when we talked about what is a CTF, we kind of outlined this like kind of like different structures of CTF. Could you briefly maybe describe us what the what does the layout, the landscape of CTF look like? Yeah, absolutely. So when um, kind of the typical hacker hears about CTF, they think about a uh, room with tables set up and uh, people at these tables hacking, right? And this is what you see at, at events, not just DEF CON, HIT CON, uh, you know, a lot of these sort of live events. A typical hacker might also instead think of um, the CTFD interface, right? right. Where there's a bunch of, of challenges and, and, and uh, teams uh, competing. And so these are, you know, live team events. There's a live in-person team event, a live online team event. There's also a style of um, basically CTF-like thing called a war game, mm-hmm. right? Which is for individuals to practice. So you go to something like Ponable.kr, um, and there is a website of a list of challenges and a leaderboard on individuals who have solved what challenge. And you click on the challenge and you uh, solve it. And it's offline. There are usually dozens of challenges. And you uh, roll through it over a long period of time, building your skill. Um, so there's uh, something missing, and it's the team or the, the individual based online event. And uh, our amazing guest today is actually, uh, as we'll talk about, uh, filled that that gap. Um, so today we'll be talking about a an event that is for individuals live, and specifically you take, well, uh, should we uh, yeah. talk about it with, with the... Yeah, let's bring it in. Uh, so awesome we have uh, Carl, aka Zeta2. Uh, you may know him on Twitter or on YouTube as Zeta2. Uh, so, Carl, welcome to the show. We're super happy to have you on today. How's Hello. it going, man? I'm good. Thanks for uh, having me. It's uh, nice to be of here. Of course. Yeah, we're very happy to have you on. So, can you, uh, maybe before we jump into kind of this uh, this nice teaser that Jan made about different styles of CTF, uh, maybe you can uh, give the folks some of, of your background, you know. So, specifically, we always like to ask people, you know, how they got into CTFs and security. So, maybe... We can start there, and you can kind of tell us kind of where you are now and th- those kinds of things. Yeah, sure. Uh, so I think I got into security relatively late. Uh, I, I've been programming since I was like seven years old or, or something like that, uh, making games, making websites. What were you programming like on? Like, you can know, you tell us? So, okay, this is going to sound ridiculous, but I think I started learning uh, C++ when I was like seven. Amazing. Uh, however, that was kind of difficult. Uh, and and um, at some point, I, I uh, transitioned over to like making websites with uh, PHP uh, with a friend and uh, also did some like game programming in C Sharp uh, as well. I, that was basically the original um, reason I kind of got into programming was like, I like, I like playing video games. I basically asked my dad, like, you know, 
how do I make a video game? And my, 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 uh, my dad is a doctor. He had no idea, but he like, he went to the bookstore or something and he, he, you know, brought home a book of like, you know, C plus plus programming or something like that. Amazing. Um, yeah. I have a video game programming yeah. and C plus book too, that I did. Mine was in high school. So it was much later, like 14, yeah. 15. And I made a Tetris game that was really terrible following that book, but man, <laughs> I have a yeah. Linux SDL programming book also in C. Um, and, uh, it was, uh, I, I used that to teach my brother for our school project how to make four-player Pong. Uh, <laughs> that one, that's my, my key uh, achievement, I think, in, in life, probably. Amazing. Yeah. Okay, so you started with there, and then how did that progress? So you started as kind of... Actually, and I think that's a good point. I mean, I think a lot of people you know, get interested in either programming. I mean, me specifically, I was exactly the same way. I wanted to, I love video games. I wanted to make video games. And so that's what I learned first programming was, I think actually games on my calculator was the first thing, like a TI-83 and then graduated to more advanced things. So, okay. So take us along with your journey. Yeah, exactly. So um, I I have to say that those game programming um, efforts were not extremely successful but uh i i I learned stuff along the way uh the website programming part was much more successful uh me and my friend we uh had like a small company we were like making small like personal websites and blogs and stuff for some you know uh non-profits and small businesses and and stuff like that you know people who don't really need to go to like the real pros to make website they just need something simple uh to get going um and uh, at some point, I started university, uh, studied here in, in Stockholm uh, at the technical uh, university here. And I actually studied the uh, engineering physics uh, and like not computer science, which I was like choosing between the two, but uh, <laughs> decided on, on engineering physics. And uh, at the time, I was still not really into security. Like, you know, occasionally you would see some article about something security related and, you know, that that sounded cool and Mm -hmm. stuff. But it wasn't really like an actual interest uh, of mine. I was still on thinking, you know, that I would go on and do stuff with like artificial intelligence or something along those lines. Um, But then at some point, uh, I... I'm, I'm not ex- exactly sure in, you know, what order it happened, but for my master's, I, I went with computer science and did an exchange semester at the EPFL oh, okay. in uh, Switzerland. And there I took a, a class in, in computer security and cryptography. And I was basically, I was immediately hooked. Like this, it was so interesting. And uh, there was like kind of this like lab course uh, together with the computer security course, which was essentially that every Friday afternoon they would release what is essentially a set of CTF challenges. And um, and the way they graded this, because in the beginning it was like, OK, you know, if you solve all the challenges, you will get the highest uh, grade. But then after a while they came back and like, OK, the, um, you know, uh, faculty or whatever, they've told us that we can't give everyone uh, the highest grade. So basically, the one who solves them first uh, will get uh, the highest grade. Sorry. So basically, every Friday afternoon turned into uh, like a CTF uh, <laughs> competition. Um, that was fun. And then, yeah, I continued like my, my studies there. And, and uh, um, at some point, I did start playing a few uh the occasional CTF and a little bit of wargaming, like uh, overthewire.org. I did some stuff there. and uh, But it was still like, I didn't really have anyone to play with. Like none of my friends were into this. And so 
it was still just like a little bit. And then at some point, uh, right before I graduated, I was applying for a job and I applied to this uh, like security consulting uh, company. And basically, as as the their uh, kind of like technical test for the interview, they were like, um, "Have you heard about this uh, site, uh, OverTheWire.org?" Uh, and so basically, the, the the hiring process was to solve the uh, the Netas uh, challenges at OverTheWire, which is the web uh, web category mm-hmm. of, of challenges there. And I was like, "Yeah, I, I've actually already done uh, all of those." Uh, and they were like. Uh, awesome. Uh, we also have this uh, CTF team uh, called uh, Hacking for Soju, and we are playing this CTF next weekend, uh, which was the qualifiers for the CodeGate um, CTF. Mm-hmm. So why don't you join us? So basically, my interview for this job was to play the CodeGate qualifiers with uh, Hacking for Soju. Amazing. And uh, that then led to both being like recruited into the team and getting the job. So that's like how I started. <laughs> Double whammy. Very cool. Yeah. yeah, he knows a good interview when they're like, could you do these things? And you're like, oh, I've already done all of them. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Yeah. Okay, so then then that's kind of how you got, wow, that's really cool. So that's how you got started in the CTS. And then how did that kind of uh, develop? Maybe could you take us to where you are today? Yeah, exactly. So this was... Uh, so I, I started my master's in 2013, graduated 15, and got this job. Uh, and so for the for the past uh, five years or so, I uh, played a lot of CTFs with the uh, uh, Hacking for Soju. And um, we did qualify to some uh, on-site events. Like this team is roughly 10 years old or so mm-hmm. by the time. So, I mean, I joined when it was already like a... A fair, decently established uh, team with some like really, really uh, skilled uh, players uh, who have been part of this, um, which probably helped a so, lot yeah, as I mean, a new player, right? Getting up to speed and oh, working definitely, with them. definitely. I mean, I learned so much from from my teammates that I played with, and that was um, very a very important part of uh, of you know learning stuff because I mean. Okay, I did, I did take this one security course uh, at university and one cryptography course. But other than that, it was mostly like uh, general computer science, like, you know, algorithms, distributed systems and, and, and so on. So I, I, I often say, you know, when people ask me about like, you know, where, where did I learn about security and so on? I say that, you know, like 70 to 80 percent of my like technical security skills comes from playing um, CTFs. So, yeah. yeah, we just, you know, kept, kept playing for, for a bunch of years, online events, on-site events, uh, and, and so on. Yeah, so. That's great. This is what I tell my students a lot. Um, you know, they ask, what classes should I take to learn to hack or, you know, to be a security professional? I tell them, listen, you should take the security classes, but that's not sufficient. I, I don't know of, like, any university or any uh, educational program that'll just take you all the way through you need to dive into ctf i think from an educational perspective it's almost impossible to develop a curriculum that can take you up to the forefront right i mean really you you want to convey the concepts and the way of thinking about these problems right looking at things in an adversarial mindset figuring out that you can break things i think that's one of the the first exciting things for students is seeing that these security things are actually possible right like that rush you get when you first, you know, get a SQL injection or whatever on a website, like you can see like, oh my gosh, I have so much power, right? No, figuring out that that's a thing and then kind of setting them on the path because yeah, there has to be a lot of kind of self-learning because the field just changes so much. I mean, I'm sure 
Uh, Carl, you can attest, you know, web security when you first started in CTFs is way different than it is now. Yeah, no, and, and, and the, so that's definitely uh, true. And I, I mean, my, I would say, I, I'm fairly like broad in, in my interests and skill, but I would say that like my, my prim primary field within like, you know, this, in the classical like CTF um, split of things would be like reverse engineering. Uh, and for a long time, I still felt like, you know, okay, I mean, reverse engineering is my, is my thing, but I still keep up with the, uh, with most of the web stuff. Um, but in the past maybe two years or so, like with all these like uh, client side uh, attacks, uh, which have become, you know, it's not just like regular simple XSS, which just like like immediately execute some code. It's like this weird um, complex change of like dumb XSS things and like manipulating strange objects and all that. So like I'm at the point where I, I no longer feel that I'm keeping up with the web uh, side. Yeah, it is crazy. I, I, you know, I started uh, actually a lot of my programming is actually very similar to yours. I started with websites like in college, uh, like writing PHP websites. And I was a sub, sub, sub contractor for a friend making a JavaScript widget that would rotate an image that was like the first paid programming job I had and yeah and then you know thinking about the web challenges and how they've evolved since then I mean it, it is honestly crazy uh, to try to keep up with all of that uh, yeah especially as it moves yeah. to the client and now you have browsers and browser security and how browser engines work and execute JavaScript and um, all that fun stuff cool yeah the also I mean this thing about like uh, you know using C CTF as a as a teaching tool I think at least I don't know. I mean, about the rest of the world, but at least like in Sweden, um, where I live, there basically hasn't really been any way to get any kind of like formal education in the mm. security field. Mm. Like, even if you wanted to go to university or something and, and study uh, security, like there were there were no courses, there were no programs you could uh, apply to. I mean, like, okay, you would you would go into computer security, and then out of your you know. Um, how many semesters you would have like one or maybe two um, courses related to security, but more of that was mostly like some uh, requirement course that all computer science students had to take where you would go through just the very, very basic, like this is an, a SQL injection, like this is, you know, mm -hmm. something like that. Uh, and then that, that was it. So uh, I think the CTF has really filled this um, gap that has been yeah, it's it's um, it's interesting also because it's a crowdsourced filling of this gap, mm -hmm. right? So you would think that if you try to crowdsource an educational curriculum, the result would be a disaster. But that's no, not uh, to say CTF that it's actually, perfect. <laughs> that's right. It's not perfect, but it's it's surprisingly good yeah. because uh, how it evolves, all the incentives, uh, the incentive structure keeps it on the very, very, very cutting edge um, where the organizers have interests, right? And there are many organizers, many interests, many themes that emerge. Um, I've been uh, super impressed. I mean, obviously, I, that's how I, you know, more or less got into state insecurity, um, really state insecurity. But um, yeah, it's, it's very hard to mirror that with a course. The other thing is, Building a course is an insane amount of work, right? And so, so for context, you, uh, for people who are watching, you know, far in the future, we're in what is it, week eight of the of a nine, I think, yeah. nine of, of the semester. Uh, what is it, fall twenty twenty semester? And Jan is <laughs> once again uh, revamping all of his Pwn College levels and 
changing yeah. them and figuring out how to fit everything within a, you know, within a given time period without killing all yeah. of the students with work. Yeah, exactly. And and this this uh, this is an enormous amount of work, and I I can see why curriculums tend to be like you said, very over you. This is a sequel injection, and so because to really dig into the realities and the nuts and bolts of um, sequel injections and different injections and so forth, you need to write probably dozens of challenges and uh, you have to carefully think, okay, what is the new concept here? The new concept here, it's, it's a lot of work. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, as that changes, you need to constantly evolve. So exactly. if you have a you know, crowd of people building up, that's probably a seems to be a good good route and that's the very tricky thing i think about even with cts right that's because i was kind of joking like they do fill a huge need and like jan said they are great but for a beginner oftentimes especially a top ctf is insanely frustrating and demoralizing because you spend you know you don't make any progress because things are so complex and you don't know all those things but the thing that we always like to say is yes that is definitely true but if you know that going in and you come with an open mind and either you work with somebody on your team who's uh, more advanced so that you could learn from them how to do it, or you try a bunch of challenges and then read all the write-ups afterwards, that really helps accelerate your uh, your learning in security. Well, I think an interesting um, thing is, you know, we, we often say this and, and kind of accept it as uh, the reality. Um, all three of us on this uh podcast right now all started out in a class that had a ctf um challenges as ctf style challenges as its uh evaluation metric right and a carefully designed ctf challenges so um carl you started out you know at, at in that epfl class right uh adam you started out with giovanni's class yep. at ucsv i started out at rpi Right. In all of our classes, we had the, this challenge-based component. Um, I think that prepares you. It, it's hard to uh, overstate the preparation that that gives you into CTF, even if it's it's a small amount, but it's critical, um, right? You at least get used to looking at something and panicking, not knowing, like, how the hell am I going to... Or one of my favorite ones yeah. is working on one of Giovanni's grad classes challenge, and I'm like at the computer, I'm like okay, God, it's so late, I just gotta go to sleep. I like go lie in bed. I'm there for like ten or twenty minutes, and like boom, an idea pops in my head, and I'm just like jump up and go back to the computer to try something else. <laughs> like it's yeah, yeah, been been there, been there. Uh, I think uh, as recent as last week, um, <laughs> I was doing the uh, flare on mm -hmm. uh, reverse engineering. Uh, challenges and I was working on the last problem and um, I was in the very familiar CTF situation of uh, it was like fairly late in the evening I don't know 11 something and I'm thinking okay I'm just gonna look a little bit at this next step and you know then I'll go to bed and then suddenly you look at the clock and it's like okay when since when is it 5 a.m. <laughs> um, and then okay I'm like okay I have to stop I really have to stop I'm working tomorrow go to bed and then like Okay, mm -hmm. I just need to get it like up, up from bed again, do the thing, it works, and then like, okay, now I really need to stop, <laughs> I'll continue tomorrow, and then go to bed again at like, you know, 5.40 in the morning or something, uh, to, to then have to go up uh, and work. So that's not, maybe not the most healthy way of approaching it, but if you do this um, often enough, uh, 
this will probably happen. Exactly. That's a great example. I love that. Awesome. So then maybe you can take us to current day. So I noticed the shirt that you're wearing is very cool. Uh, so can you tell us uh, more about the, the yeah, there we go, uh, the Norse code <laughs> team and, and how you kind of went yeah. from hacking for Soju to Norse code? And I know there's some relationship there, but you can definitely tell it better than I can. So, Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, we, uh, as hacking for Soju, we have been in the DEFCON finals, not by ourselves previously, but a couple of years ago, we have been doing collaborations. I think one year we did something with Hacking for Soju and like RPI Sec and some Koreans. And so different different collaborations, but, but fairly small, uh, you know, like one team, two, like two teams, maybe or maybe three, two and a half team or something like that. Uh, unfortunately, I never uh, like played myself because I was, uh, you know, busy at those times and, and so on. And of course, I've had this idea like, you know, I want to play in the DEFCON uh, finals because, I mean, it's it's like the big event uh, of the year. And I think maybe since like one or maybe two years back, we started to see, um, maybe it's been going on for even longer, but we started to see these like larger uh, collaborations, like coalitions yeah. of teams. We had mm-hmm. the, uh, the whole... Uh, um, Sauerkraut, uh, all the of whole Germany. Ger- German uh, teams, and the like, uh, hackeroni, yep. uh, like the whole Italian thing, and uh, there was like the, the French also did like a, a coalition thing. We started seeing these like big uh, coalitions of teams, uh, and I, I I thought about that, and I thought about like the CTF scene in in Scandinavia, which, um, well, we, we can come back to that, but it has been historically uh, very weak, with exceptions such as Hacking for Soju and like Gallop Sled mm-hmm. uh, from Denmark, which you all know from the Pwn Tools. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah. But apart from that, it's like the, 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 there is, since like before a few years ago, there was no CTF scene in, in Scandinavia, essentially. Uh, anyway, um, that is a little bit better now, and so we have. There are a few like uh, university teams and so on, and we can actually. There is like some interesting history there as well. But anyway, uh, we had this idea. Okay, let's make a Scandinavian uh, like you know CTF uh, coalition team for the DEFCON um, CTF. So it was in the beginning of the year. I reached out to some. We had been uh, making some relationships with a Norwegian team called Bootplug, Great and. Name. Uh, yeah, <laughs> and and some other um, you know Swedish student teams and so on. So we put this thing together uh, with the goals of it was kind of like a project with the goals of like you know playing the DefCon qualifiers, qualify for the finals, and play the DefCon uh, finals together. Uh, so we did. We I think we did like two practice CTFs together in like February and March, and then we played the uh, qualifiers. Um, yeah, this this spring, and. I remember distinctively us starting out very poorly in the first. Uh, this was the forty-eight hour qualifiers, yeah, 48 right? Hours, yeah, yeah. So I think in the first, I don't know, like sixteen hours or something like that, we barely scored anything. Maybe we had one EC flag or you know something like that. So so I was like, okay, I mean, damn, this was it was too difficult. We didn't have you know the skilled people and so on. I went to bed at some point and then I woke up and some other like heroes in the team, they like had stayed up all night and just crunched. And we were suddenly at like 20th or something place. So it's like, 
okay, this is, this is doable. This, we can do this. So we all like got this like energy going and, you know, started helping each other and it was good collaboration. And then finally we did manage to end up in something like ninth place, uh, if I remember correctly, um, which did qualify us for, for, um, the finals. So yeah, that was great. I'm actually yeah. looking at the scoreboard here on my screen while you're talking. Um, yeah, you guys got eighth, which was amazing in uh, quals. Yeah. And I think you and you had first blood on the uh, bike coding golf challenge, which was super cool to see. We were very worried, <laughs> and so we were very happy to see your solution pop up. <laughs> yeah, that's always great um, when you're a challenge author and you have a challenge mm-hmm. which you know. I mean, you think it should be solvable and you think it's like not too outrageously difficult but you don't know it until it's out especially these crazy golf challenges i feel like that was another one where it's because we we that was we had theories right like you said it's like okay i know this is definitely possible this is definitely possible uh three or four is theoretically possible from what i've seen of it but i haven't put it together yet and i you know there's a bunch of smart people out there i'm sure somebody will figure it out and when they do it's like oh thank god okay that's that's so nice yeah yeah, and, and, and figuring out that decay, point decay. So for those that, that actually are uh, wondering what a golf challenge is, um, DEF CON uh, 2020, um, which is DEF CON 28, had a new style of challenges in the qualifiers, which um, is a challenge that would degrade in difficulty until someone solved it. Um, so it would start out at a difficulty level that was insanely high, and then we had a slow decay. So in this case, it was a polyglot um, uh, byte coding where you had to write byte code that would be valid in Python, Perl, Haskell, a bunch of other um, uh, languages. Um, and uh, the question was, how many uh, byte code, uh, you know, entries could you could you create that that uh work together or worked in all of these languages wait, wait was haskell one of them does haskell have bytecode no um, i one of my i did not people. work on this challenge i do yeah. not remember the details and i wrote it and i don't but... remember the details but uh it definitely <laughs> there were a bunch of bunch of uh languages uh at least and, yeah uh, we had some some people on the team working on it and uh yeah i mean they they yeah, so it's Java, yeah, Python and, 3, Python 2, Ruby, Lua, Node.js, OCaml, and Elisp. So OCaml. 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 Okay, I, 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 I confuse it. Yeah, Haskell's yeah. compiled. Anyway, so um, the, uh, the, the point is, of course, why would you want to keep it uh, hard for your opponents? Why do you want to solve it early? So that they can't solve it and it's worth more points. Exactly. So right? there's like a and super interesting game theory one, element there, right? So yeah. it's like it rewards you for putting the time in because if you're the first one, then you peg that difficulty level high. Mm-hmm. And so your opponents then have to match you. It's all, It has like yeah weird kind of similarities to sports events or like, I don't know, high, like high bar or other types of things where you have to like jump over something. And so like if you set the bar very high, literally, right, other people can't make it. Yeah. And I think, and I think this. Oh, go ahead, Carl. Yeah, this this uh, solves a little bit of the. Um, so I mean, nowadays the dynamic scoring is uh, pretty much the standard right. for the CTFs. But before, when there was a static scoring, um, a lot of competitions would have uh, like a first blood bonus where you would get uh, just a little bit extra points if you were among the mm-hmm. first few teams to to solve it. And then with dynamic scoring, that didn't really make sense anymore uh so that has been basically removed um and then this is kind of like brings that um racing element back a little bit or like this 
there, you know, there's value to, to be put in that extra effort to be the, the first or, you know, to be a little bit better, uh, I think. So I, yeah. I think it's interesting. Yeah, actually, and this, so the, the, the racing element. I was just going to say, this actually leads us nice into <laughs> a, a nice racing element. We can, I guess, go backwards in time to 2019 um, when... Well, from our perspective, we're preparing for DEFCON uh, quals in um, 2019. And I'll tell it from my perspective first. So I can, I can, uh, we've been kicking around this idea of doing some kind of racing speed thing uh, for DEFCON quals. And I honestly, I've tried to like re-piece together the timeline and I can't really do it because nothing really makes sense anymore. But um, I think right around the time either we were doing that or I had just started uh, we I saw pony racing come through on Twitter, and I was like, "Oh no, they're doing like exactly what we want to do." And I'm like, "But no, that's great. Like that's like it's it's amazing to see you know people think similarly." So I think we we talked about it a little bit in one of the previous podcasts, but you know we ended up having in that quals a speed run style of challenge, which kind of similarly to golf is like challenging people to work uh, quickly and to reward people who can do things faster. So. Uh, maybe Carl, you can talk about from your perspective. So you, you like, how did uh, pony racing come about? Uh, what was the genesis there? Yeah, so I think it started. We were uh, at the CCC in 2018. So this is since CCC is between uh, Christmas mm-hmm. and New Year's, New Year's. So the very end of uh, 2018. Uh, it was, you know, late late night at uh, CCC, and we were a bunch of um, CTF uh, players, um, and we were just, you know, talking about various things. And I think uh, because this is not the first time this uh, thing has happened, there was, I think it was at the DefCon. Yeah. Was it part L- of the live- DefCon finals? Yeah. And then yeah. as well, there was this cool thing, event called like Rapid Fire or something by uh, like, uh, the, like Jordan, uh, Cyphertex and, and some of the yeah. uh, Vector 35 people, I think they organized it was another similar thing. Uh, so there, there had been something like this before and we were talking about this and it's like, oh, that was like such a great idea. Why, why isn't there anything like that, um, you know, still going on? And then like, okay, we should, we should do it. And uh, so, so I... Uh, talked to uh, some of my teammates in, in Hacking for Soju, and one of my teammates, uh, Bob, uh, was a, a big uh, factor uh, in this. And so we uh, basically got some people together, and uh, oh, yeah, so there was also this thing that he, um, Mermus CTF, uh, so another uh, member of the community who has a YouTube channel. He had been doing this. Uh, he did this like challenge where he challenged a bunch of stream. So I had been streaming a little bit on YouTube, like live solving challenges and stuff, just just a little bit. And there are some other, uh, you know, famous uh, security YouTubers. And he basically gave everyone the same challenge and you know challenged us to like solve it on camera and without looking at each other's uh, stream and and so on. So. Uh, I, I was already in like a, a channel with him and some other people, so I could like source uh, participants nice. uh, from there, and then uh, you know, so we got this thing together and uh, we got it going, and uh, people seemed to to like it, so we continued doing it uh, throughout, yeah, 2019. I think we did 11 real episodes, so roughly once a month, and uh, finishing actually that was pretty cool. The last one we did was the episode 11 was back at CCC 
2019. Nice. We did like That's an awesome. on-site uh, episode uh, where they had to. So all of, it was all ponables in all mm-hmm. of the um, uh, all of the episodes. But for this one, they were doing uh, AVR uh, ponables with actual. They each had like an Arduino Nano, uh, which they had to uh, hack, and we were like sitting there on site next to each other and commentating and, and, and so on. Um, yeah, and they also did like a special episode, like collaboration with Seesaw. So this was also like uh, with not me as a commentator, but instead with um, Jordan and Rusty and Josh mm-hmm. from also like the Victor Thirty Five people. They did like a whole thing during Seesaw. There was like a, a big tour, like a, a knockout tournament with the speed challenges like this. But it was like broadcasted on as under the like pony racing brand. Uh, if you That's want, cool. uh, as well. So it's growing beyond you, yeah. is what you're saying. Well, I mean, so we did this throughout 2019, and uh, we haven't released more episodes since. Uh, I I hope to bring it back uh, because people people seem to like it, and you know people have been asking, you know, when, when is it coming back? So th- there is definitely an, an ambition to to uh, bring it back uh, again. We'll see uh, we'll see when that uh, happens, but uh, it would be cool to bring it back. Yeah, it's it's tough to keep these events going. I think uh, especially. It's a reflection of how much our field changes, right? Um, and how people will participate in CTFs for five years, move on, etc. Right? So as as people cycle through, keeping an event like that going takes an enormous amount of um, yeah. Because I was thinking about it, right? Yeah. You just had eleven yeah. episodes. That means you had to write or co-write at least eleven challenges, right? And so what? Maybe because that's, you know, part of what we think about is organizing CTFs, which this is a very similar style of thing. You're developing this challenge. It should have one bug. Um, what what kind of goes through your mind when you're trying to develop these challenges and what maybe difficulty level are you trying to shoot for? Yeah. So, as I said, I did this in like collaboration with some of my, my teammates and Basically, the way we uh, divided this. So uh, my teammate, Bob, he basically wrote all of the challenges, except for the last one, which was another teammate uh, called Lars. And uh, so he was kind of responsible for, you know, like creating the challenge. And my responsibility was like the like production side of like the, all the, the streaming and being kind of like a, you know, a show host uh, and, uh, and so on. Um, but generally the idea was because we wanted episodes that were, you know, reasonable to watch within some reasonable <laughs> amount of time. Um, so I think the goal was like 60 to 90 minutes uh, to solve it, which means that, you know, for Ponable, it has to be fairly simple, but still we had some really skilled people on some of these episodes. So it can't be just like your, you know, your intro Ponable, you know, your which was you know, things that you would have which like, was in, exactly you know, what we had the, for speed runs like that was our you know those were done in five minutes which doesn't make for a great yeah. video for you you're just getting into yeah. commentating and then they've solved it right yeah so many i think many of those uh, many of the challenges they um they revolved around uh some tricks some you know some uh, maybe like a bit of a special things you know things like uh jumping between the 32 and 64 bit uh, x86 um code and um things like uh utilizing uh, initialized uh, memory and like controlling initialized memory which would then lead to um like control and, and so on so it was like 
uh, not really your the things you would find. Like if you would go yeah. through some kind of like um, I don't know, Pwnable uh, basics course, you would have your like your buffer overflow. You would talk about uh, you know your uh, stack cookies and ROP and 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 so on. So we'd try to be like something that was like a little bit different from that. Some some extra little thing you like. You have to know that actually in, in libc in this place here they actually store a reference to this thing which you need to uh do and, and so on so it was like these tricks mm -hmm. basically uh it, it was a lot about that um i think that that was kind of something that we did. and then for for the, the the final one with the avr it was uh, we would try to utilize the fact that it uses uh like an embedded system so it was related to how memory lay the memory layout works in a system like that and, and so on because i think it's like when you, you when you choose to create a challenge in a different architecture for example it's not it's not really super fun if you just take your like ordinary x86 mm -hmm. challenge and you just straight up port it to another right. architecture just to make it a little bit unfamiliar uh i mean you can do that but it's really great if you actually use the the interesting properties of this architecture or system as part of the so that way they have design. to learn something new about that architecture or system yes. that they didn't know before and but there is i think something nice and i was watching that episode uh, before we recorded this so i thought the other interesting thing with at least moving to an architecture like that you kind of boil down the hacking more to its essence right if especially if there's a little bit less tooling that you still want some stuff right you want them to be able to debug things you want them to be able yeah. to disassemble it but you know, do we really need, does everyone need an awesome dis decompiler that just works right off the bat and you just smash F5 on everything? It's like, no, it's kind of nice to have to actually look at the assembly and see what's going on. So what, one of my favorite um, CTF challenges uh, was was like this sort of embedded uh, crazy thing. It was an MSP430 device that LegitBS built for DEF CON, I don't remember, probably 2015. Probably, um, and uh, they uh, they built this this device with a radio running, you know, some some um, firmware, and I think I think it was a MIBS device running an MSP four thirty soft core, something like that, and reversing that firmware was an incredible experience because it was an architecture I wasn't familiar with. And there was no uh, like semantic, you know, there wasn't a libc or library function that you could really identify and so forth. You have to really figure it out. You know, this is what the code is doing. It was reversing at its core. Like Adam said, you know, just by, by shifting those assumptions, you can often um, just say, okay, you know, this is a concept. Let's see your mastery of it, not your mastery of specific implementations of it. For my class, I, I, I created a, a, for my reversing challenges, I created a VM architecture for them to reverse the VM of and then reverse the code inside because I wanted to have some, you know, this sort of knowledge transfer inside their brain uh, developed. Yeah. Yeah. And that's, uh, I think it's really cool when you when you do that and when you do that a lot, um, you when you get to this level where um, when you're reversing things and you're not really, you know, you're no longer reading individual instructions, but you're kind of like seeing the overall structure of the program, and you can you can like start to transfer these uh, concepts yeah. between you know specific architectures or specific tools and, and, and so on. So that's, I forget is AVR the one that has the registers memory mapped somewhere? I think so. Yes, and it also has this like hybrid. It's like an eight bit, sixteen bit uh, 
hybrid thing. Yeah. You have these like registers where which are you have sixteen bit registers which consists of like pairs of eight bit registers and uh, a bunch of other um, strange things going on as well. So. <laughs> That's so awesome. cool. So I have a and oh, go like, ahead, ins- please. I don't know, sorry. Oh, I was just going to uh, switch topics just a little bit. I'm curious, um, yeah. you know, obviously it's still on the same topic, but you're one of the very few, I would say handful of people who've actually done the crazy job of commentating live hacking competitions. So can you talk to us about like, what's that like? And it seems, it seems almost a Herculean uh, task to be able to like, watch what somebody else is doing and even just if you took take just one person right you watch just what one person is doing to be able to interpret that um because you have to kind of put yourself in their mind and talk about them so you have to understand what they're doing but you have to do it across four people right uh, or however many people are participating in in this uh, so can you, can you talk to us about from the commentating side because i actually i find that fascinating yeah no and actually in a sense having four participants is actually, in a sense, easier uh, because it gives you it gives you an an, an out. I see. Uh, so um, you're watching these people, and they are streaming their their desktops. So you see, you know, you see the output of their thinking, but you can't read right. their minds. Uh, so you don't know, like, if they are looking, for example, they are they are reverse engineering the code, and they are looking at the code, and sometimes maybe they're even like. Because some of these players were kind of like uh, very aware of that the fact that they were being uh, recorded, so sometimes they would like highlight uh, uh, text on screen to like kind of signal uh-huh. some, you know. And, and some people would not do that at all; they would just you know pretend that they were just working on on their own. But even if they were like looking at, they were maybe like staring straight at the bug, and then it's like you know, does this mean they are just like you know uh, taking a small pause or whatever? Or have they discovered it? Like, should I, as a commentator now, say, like, oh, it really looks like they've found the bug here, and now it's, you know, they should move on to the exploitation? Or is it like, oh, you know, maybe they have it, maybe they don't. So that that's difficult. And, of course, it helps with having, you know, done, with having experience with this uh, yourself. But it's still very difficult. Uh, and this is kind of where having four participants really helps. Because if it's, something you don't really mm-hmm. understand or something going on on, on one uh, participant's uh, screen. You can just switch over <laughs> to uh, another participant's screen and maybe there is something that's more clear. Maybe they are just, you know, running running it in the debugger and you, you see that they are uh, doing some very specific thing, like maybe they're looking at some specific offset or something and you can just dis- try to describe uh, the process. Uh, because there, the whole commentating thing, I mean, there are kind of a few different um, things you're doing. You're one part is kind of like just narrating what mm-hmm. they're doing. Just describe for the viewer, like, okay, they're opening up GDB, they are running the program, they're setting breakpoints here. Just explain like a play-by-play, mm-hmm. essentially. Uh, and then, of course, some of it is more like, you know, you, you just disregard at all what's going on in the screen and you just talk to your, like, co-commentator or, you know, uh, just explain, like, okay, today they will be solving a challenge that is about this and this and they might dis- uh, encounter some issues with this and this and then there's this trick that they have to know about. You just describe it in a more, like, just overview uh, sense. Uh, and then at some points, you know, you, you may be talking about when, where they would go next or maybe talk about some specific technique they're using. Um, 
it's like someone is writing like a, a script in and using maybe pwn tools for example which a lot of people do and you would just you know talk go on a little bit of a tangent about that and explain okay so they're using pwn tools which is this really great uh tool that you should check out and then they're actually specifically using the um you know format string uh, module of pwn tools or something and then you would explain like Oh, personally, I haven't had like great experience with that module, but sometimes when it works, it's really convenient. Uh, and, and, and you know, and tell some like anecdotes and, and stuff like that. So there are like the different things to, to to switch between like different modes of, of talking. But it's it is exhausting. <laughs> I, I yeah, I, I think that uh, in the video game world, um, they often take when when neither player is doing something they can directly comment on um they start talking amongst themselves the the casters right uh, i think that's a, a huge advantage of having multiple people where if something stalls out you switch to the other player they're not doing anything interesting either then you just start talking about you know oh these two have a really interesting hit but it's hard to monologue on that and it's not like a where, sports. Uh, it's not like a professional sports. You can just cut throw to commercial, and just like that's just right. like have a break. We're <laughs> bored now. Exactly, a minute and thirty seconds, and then oh, the action's heating up. Let's go back and like, yeah. yeah. And I've definitely experienced this when I've been doing. So I've been doing a little bit of like outside of pony racing, and before that, and also mm-hmm. after that, I've been doing some like just live streaming where I'm basically. Uh, usually, what I do is I pick a CTF challenge that I, that I haven't solved, and I go in like without any prior knowledge about the challenge. And I try to solve it on stream and just like explaining what I'm thinking about. But of course, I mean, as you know, when solving CTF challenges, sometimes you just hit this blank and you're just like, you know, you have no idea what you're doing. You have no idea what you're looking at. Mm -hmm. It's just, it just stops. But you can't just go silent because then you have absolutely no content at all. There's like nothing going on on the screen and you're not saying anything. And that's, that's not good. That's not a good watching experience. So you just have to keep talking about something. Uh, yeah, I found the same thing when I, I tried to do that with some Pwnable.kr challenges of like a live walkthrough. I wasn't streaming at the time, so there were a few challenges where I would just like pause the recording and like I have to just read things for like two hours and just like keep reading <laughs> right. until I like find something that gets me unstuck a little bit and then I can come back and re-record it. Uh, yeah, that's that's a <laughs> super interesting thing. Yeah, because sometimes it's just like, yeah, you just sit there and think. And I think what some of these, I, I hope what people get out of that and learn from these kind of live walkthroughs is that I, I think it's one of the worst things about uh, write-ups. So I think CTF write-ups are super important because they show... You know, somebody who has absolutely no idea how to solve this problem. But if you read those write-ups, you think, oh, my, these people are gods. How could I ever, you know, they just did X, Y, and Z. Like you said about the, you know, crazy web stuff where they, oh, I clobbered this DOM object and I overwrote this property, which caused this thing and this other thing to do. And then I opened up this iframe with this stuff. And you look at that and you're just like, this is insane. How, you know, they're so good. But actually, as you know, behind the scenes, you don't see all the dead ends that people went through until they finally found that thing that worked. And so that's what I love these live hack throughs is because they're much more honest, I feel like, about the hacking process, about you get stuck and yeah, you're just sitting there looking at your computer for like a few hours or you go walk away and do something else for a while, right? Yeah. And this, I mean, this actually relates... um, basically directly to my current mm, work. Mm-hmm. So 
in, in, in July, I joined uh, Google in their uh, offensive security team, so the internal red team. Uh, Congratulations. Google. Very cool. And uh, thank you. Thank you. And, you know, in the, in the, in the first few weeks, uh, there was like, we have these, you know, we have a bunch of like red team exercises running in parallel, like small project groups. And there was like a, a batch of exercises wrapping up. So they were doing presentations on them. And in these presentations, it's always like, you know, we did bam, bam, bam. You know, we got here, uh, lateral movement to here, pwned this, got the stuff, boom, done. Uh, and, and it's the exact same thing as the CDF write-ups. Like what you don't immediately think about is like, okay, this took like <laughs> maybe four highly skilled people, three months of full-time work mm-hmm. uh, to do this. And they're just summarizing it <laughs> in like a 20-minute presentation. Uh, so, and, and it's, it's the same thing. And there was the, this was... The idea behind the uh, the streams, I just thought like, okay, you know, write ups are good, but you 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 want to see that, or like it's it's useful mm-hmm. to see this other thing where you have all the dead ends because that's also where you learn a lot mm-hmm. of stuff. Uh, because I think sometimes it's it's almost a bit dishonest uh, when you have like, oh yeah, and then you know uh, this you put in this specific exact number here, and that will corrupt this memory here yeah. it's like okay but <laughs> yes how, how did you did you exactly. come up with that specific number you just you didn't just like conjure it out of thin air like you you had a method of finding this out yeah that's great and you probably did it wrong a exactly a hundred percent or you miss you know miscalculated some numbers and then you were broken for or like on the ppp episode we talked to ppp they had this beautiful framework, this whole machine learning thing to solve Ropship AI. And then they had a bug in their uh, commands, like into the mappings. And it's just like this simple bug that happens all the time. And nobody writes that in their write-up. But like, yes, yeah. we spent six hours on this and had to throw out the very first step because the first step had a bug. And when we rewrote that, everything worked, right? Nobody nobody ever writes about that. Yeah, I, I, no, I, I ran into this recently in my class. I mentioned I, I wrote a VM, and uh, some people—it's—it's uh, it's a tough problem. Some of my students had uh, trouble approaching it. So after the deadline of that homework, um, where the, they could still submit it for half credit, I asked uh, the cabin of shellfish to go through and lo- live stream or record, live record himself uh, solving it. No editing, right? Just from mm. scratch. Um, and I made it a little harder for him. I told him uh, in my class, there's an easy, you know, click to open up uh, Binary Ninja Cloud. And I told him, use use the same tools the students will use. Yeah. And that recording was five and a half hours from someone that plays CTFs every weekend. You know, it's, it's not um, easy sometimes, even in like class challenges that are not, you know, ostensibly speaking, so difficult. Yeah, I wonder if there's a middle ground there. I mean, yeah, I I found this exact same thing when I was doing some of those Pwnable.kr challenges. It's like the fourth or fifth challenge, but I'm a web guy. I mean, background's on web, and so, you know, I'm not a pro poner, but, you know, I can fumble around. You know, I can can solve these things, but, but yeah, you know, it's like three hours of me doing this, getting stuck, going in another direction, and it's like, how's that? really useful for people i mean i i think it is like i think the people who do watch it will get something out of it but i wonder if there's a um kind of maybe we can try to shoot for this happy medium right but then the problem is who wants to edit a five-hour video or three-hour video yeah. <laughs> like yeah so that, that's the thing I, I think also the 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 ideal ideal format would be you know you record like a blind sold four hours of footage footage and then you edit it down or 
maybe even do something like where you have like a blog post with you know a couple of embedded clips where you know here is some text explaining stuff and then there's like here's 15 minutes of me uh trying to actually execute this in the debugger uh and talking over it or something but then you get into this like that takes a huge amount of effort to make that uh, good so, yeah, exactly. And people don't understand. And, I mean, I, I know you you definitely understand, Carl. And even, you know, me editing this podcast is a huge pain in my butt. And I'm constantly getting better. But it's like, I know it's not perfect. And I'm just going to do what I can to get it out as easy yeah. as, and quickly as possible. Um, yeah. I think at the, at the end of the day, it's uh, a very important thing to balance this sort of perfection of editing, perfection of, of recording and with... Uh, sustainability right if uh adam spent a week editing every podcast um or if i spent you know weeks editing every video for pwn college it would just not be sustainable and and so you know some people have to suffer with you staring at the screen like i have no idea what's going on right now (laughs) why is this drop chain not working and that's fine yeah and that's uh um i mean that's the yeah, that's how it will have to be until, you know, I don't know, someone comes along and like employs you full time for, for to do that or something. <laughs> exactly. Well, if we're doing this in this capacity or people are doing this, you know, in their spare time or maybe just like a, as a side gig or whatever, you know, th- there will be restriction on like the production uh, quality and, and Yeah, efforts. for sure. I 100 percent agree. Uh, so then I kind of like to circle back a little bit to what we talked about a little bit in the beginning, right? We talked about getting into CTFs and kind of education. So, uh, Carl, can you talk a little bit about how how have you seen... So, I mean, obviously, you've you've clearly watched every pony racing episode, right, by, by, uh, <laughs> by construction. And so what do you think that people are learning from these episodes? And maybe specifically, you can talk, what did you yourself learn from, you know, because I think it's a fascinating view into another hackers kind of their environments their workflow you know like what what have you learned from that yeah um well it was interesting to see what there was one clear difference in uh when doing these ponables that there was a, a different uh, focus on um, like static analysis and dynamic analysis between the between the players, and this is definitely something I, I knew that you know different people prefer different things. Uh, for example, I tend to go a little bit too much towards the static analysis when I should have you know pulled out the debugger uh, earlier. Uh, but it's really interesting to see like did they actually? Some people started out with running the program. Some people op- directly opened it in like Ida or Binary Ninja or you know, whichever tool uh, they were using. Um, there were also differences in like, how quickly did you go into, um, like how fast did you start writing a, a script to do stuff for you? Like some people would start out by like playing around with the mm. program and, you know, typing some inputs manually, manually, like doing some kind of like testing on their own. And some people, you know, they would not send a single byte to the binary without having it in, in like a, a Ponable script uh, or something like that. Uh, so, so, so there were like differences in technique there, uh, which was uh, very interesting to see. But on the other hand, it was like a lot of similarities. Like all the all the these skilled people, they did similar thing. They had their reverse engineering tools. They did uh, script. You know, even if they started out like a little bit exploratory, 
they did script stuff. They were using like tools in some kind of structured uh, way. Um, yeah, and of course there were some differences. We had some some person uh, writing their uh, poem uh, scripts in uh, PHP, uh, which is it's uh, one of the uh, um, fascinating one of the French uh, French CTF players. He basically has mm, a wow. Pwnable-like framework that he has written in PHP, uh, and it's like you know, yeah. it's it's not standard, but you know, it works for him, and you know, he knows how to to work with that, and and to do good stuff, and then that's that's what matters, right? So I used to have something like that in Bash. It was a really bad idea. Of course you did, Jan. I'm not surprised. Yeah. <laughs> you have an insane yeah. love affair with Bash. That is. Part of it still survives, actually. It's a shell coding yeah. uh, helper. <laughs> I just exported that part for my students. Yeah. And then, of course, you get to see crazy things like uh, when uh, Jinmo uh, was on one of the episodes. And uh, I typically started out all the episodes by like, going around, around doing like one, two minutes on each uh, participants, like starting, okay, this, we'll see like which uh, which reverse engineering tool are they using and just go around and just look at all the participants. And with that episode, like for most of the episodes, we did go on for like 90 minutes or even two hours or so. And for that episode, it was like, you know, by the time I had did like one lap around, you know, he was like halfway through writing the uh, exploit. <laughs> I was like... What, 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 what's going on here? It's, it's just unreal uh, skills. Uh, but of course, then we had to kind of, um, stress to the uh, viewers that, you know, this is not your average yes, yeah. CTF player. Like this is, you know, you can, you should not be uh, like, you know, afraid that you have to be this good or something like you can be on your own level. You can start out, everyone starts out somewhere, uh, but you can reach this level if you put in the time. And exactly. That, and that's a great point. Right. And I think that's something we try to stress. It's very, you know, similar to sports or something like that. If you don't look at an Olympic athlete and watch them run and then just be like, well, I'm never going to try running ever again because I'm clearly not that fast. <laughs> it's like, of course you're not. You haven't been training your entire life for this one thing. Right. Of course they're insanely fast. These are the fastest people in the entire world. But that doesn't mean you can't get off your couch and go run for a little bit or with the dedicated training regimen and putting in the time and the effort, you can get close to that level. Yeah. And it becomes uh, useful and enjoyable way before reaching. Like, you don't have to be at, at certain, that level to, to, to have this thing be a good thing for you. Uh, exactly. Like, you don't have to be the best in the world. Well, you're never going to be uh, the best in the world, most likely. Uh, but that's that's not a problem. Yeah, exactly. That, I think that's a great point. There's a lot to be gained on the... I think the, the pursuit or the path is the real outcome and where you learn and grow a lot rather than saying like, oh, I'm the best in the world. Or I mean, if you are, that's fantastic and good for you. And I don't know how you prove that necessarily. I guess what you do is you start like your own CTF team that's just you and you're better than everyone else on the planet. <laughs> um, that'd be a good way to do it. But uh, besides that, yeah, you know, I think, and, and there's a lot of other things you can do, like bring in new people, mentor new people. Like Jan said, there's this real big, um, I see it as a problem in CTF of people kind of burning out after four or five years. And so, you know, one way to address that is, I guess, keep getting in new blood every, every year or so. Yeah. Yeah. So I tried doing it. So I, I mentioned earlier that, uh, that, you know, the, the Scandinavian mm -hmm. CTF scene was basically non-existent. Um, and, uh, I did for a couple of years, I ran like a CTF workshop at my university. So it was like 
one evening a week for like two hours. It would start out by I like me giving like a small presentation, like 20 minutes about some security or like CTF related thing. Like, you know, here is how a SQL injection works or how is, here is how like a basic buffer overflow works or something. And then we would work on uh, like Pico CTF mm -hmm. uh, problems for one and a half hour and so on. Um, uh, so this kind of helped starting a CTF team at my university. So that some of the people in that um, kind of like workshop thing, they, they went on and then like started the CTF uh, team there. And then uh, there were a few, com we organized some competition for high schoolers and uh, I, I did a few other things. There were some other people who, who did, uh, you know, some efforts and, and, and so on. And, and eventually it, it, there started to pop up a couple of, of different CTF teams. So now we are at the position where uh, many of the, at least many of the larger uh, like technical uh, colleges and universities in, in Sweden are starting to get like their own CTF teams and, and so on. Uh, so that's, it's a very, very nice to see that development. And this is why it was even possible to do this Norse code thing in the first place. Like if we would have tried to do Norse code four years ago, then it would have been us and maybe the, you know, the, the, the few people in maybe Gallup sled who were still active or something. I don't know. Uh, there would have been nothing to build from. Right. And that's, so. you know, I think that's. It's super important, I think, for community building and going forward and kind of growing. Like, how do we get more people into CTFs? I think that's, you know, super, very important things that you're doing there to to try to bring more people in, not just as a, you know, a selfish thing for Norse code, but I think it's a good thing for the community at large. People always talk about the fact that yeah. security professionals, there's, there's a huge lack of security professionals. I've seen statistics about like a negative unemployment rate where like companies can't hire enough. And it's because, you know, and I think CTS offer a great way to get people into security and get hooked on that notion that they can then bring that adversarial mindset to other aspects of security, whether it's pen testing or something uh, completely different. Well, and similar to that, I mean, uh, it's, it's, or another point of CTFs is it's a concrete quantifiable success, right? So you can say, hey, I, op, you know, this is my CTF time, you know, profile for my team, et cetera, et cetera. Um, yeah. Have you found it a challenge to, also, oh, sorry, sorry. Uh, I was just going to ask if you found it a challenge to kind of maintain communication on a super team or a... Yes, it was. So I think I, I vastly underestimated the uh, challenges of running or like, you know, organizing a team like this. Well, I think I didn't really like estimate anything, which might have been the issue. There was there wasn't much planning. It was like, okay, what if we get a bunch of teams together and we play the DEFCON uh, CDF? That was as far as the you know idea uh, went, and uh, you you start bringing these teams together, and you know people have uh, different ways of collaborating within their teams. They have, mm. they use different tools, like different chat platforms, <laughs> uh, different ways of like di distributing and communicating work. And you had to, and, and also there's also the social aspect. Like these, most teams, at least of a, you know, a smaller size have some kind of, you know, they know each other to some, to some degree. I mean, of course this varies a lot from teams to team, but, um, uh, then you bring in these people who are most of these people are basically straight complete strangers uh to each other and then it's like okay you know 
how does that impact uh, like collaboration mm-hmm. and communications and and also of course you know when you're talking online and, and chatting um a lot of like the nuance of, of you know uh, communications might uh, get lost and combine that with maybe like a stressful setting or so, so there's also you know uh all of these challenges and uh, i think in the end I mean, not not that everyone was actually active, but at some point we had like seventy people in in this. Uh, mm-hmm. in, what in the end ended up being a, a Discord server. Um, right. So that was another thing. We, we were first using Mattermost, and some people didn't like that, and there was this big uh, discussion about this, and it's like, you know, a lot of a lot of things along the way. But anyway, we had like seventy people. Now, in the end, I think maybe thirty something people were actually kind of uh, playing, uh, and one thing. One reason of this for this was, of course, like a lot of, for a lot of these teams. As I said, these teams are fairly new. There are a lot of beginners. Right. Um, DefCon CTF is maybe not, you know, the most beginner-friendly context. Uh, so it was, uh, especially the finals, which was. I mean, I I, I really liked uh, the challenges, but you know, for for some of the people who were who were playing, it was like. They're like, okay, I mean, there's nothing really I can contribute to, but, uh, you know, um, have fun uh, and so on. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, it's that was... a super, I think it's an important point that people people on the outside underestimate, right? They see like, oh, this team has 80 people, or I've heard numbers of 200 people mm-hmm. on a team. Mm-hmm. And it's it's like, I you know, personally, I mean, I kind of, I think of it as the, the shellfish model, because when I was playing as shellfish, we were kind of always very chaotic and organic as a group like we mm-hmm. almost you know in, in circa like a 2010 ish time frame we were never like driven you know it's we're just like here's what's going on we would de- we were pretty good at developing like an architecture so that you could play access the challenges whatever especially for finals but there was nobody directing like who did what it was very much an organic thing where chaos yeah chaos i i think that's you know, but but part of me as a hacker, I kind of like it's it's almost like a nice, you know, you know, hacker way of like approaching these challenges, right? It's like yeah, you just kind of hack on stuff, and but we never won, and I think part of yeah. it is very clearly because we weren't, you know, regimented. We weren't even, you know, I, I think so. That's it's something that definitely I think people who want to like, especially like you said, with the rise of these kind of big super teams, I think that's maybe why you see them not propagate very long unless they actually have a dedicated kind of captain or structure who's willing to devote the time and energy necessary to create that team cohesion, uh, boost morale, get people working together beforehand so that they are not just thrown into a room and then like, uh, here, uh, black box pwn this uh, machine learning challenge uh, so that they could actually, you know, work on those things. Yeah. No, but we did actually make some efforts mm, there awesome. um we created so so we we tried to create a bunch of tooling uh, throughout the summer uh, to prepare and uh, so we had these you know uh of course like exploit mm-hmm. runners and like uh, some task management system and for that then we also created this kind of like dashboard oh, awesome. uh, for the team uh where you could also like uh uh, set your own status so there would be like a matrix with like all the people and all the uh, challenges and then for each challenge it would also be like subtasks like are you working on like reverse engineering or like writing an exploit or patching or 
whatever. So you could like put yourself in this matrix, and it, everyone else who would be like who would look at this dashboard would would see. And we also we had one team member who was, um, I mean, because basically he he realized that he his um, area of expertise was not really relevant for the DEFCON finals. So he instead like took it upon himself to be more of like a manager mm-hmm. person. So he was like, nice. you know, checking checking in with people like, okay, so are you still working on this? And maybe could someone, you know, go help this other person with this thing awesome. and, and, and so on. Uh, so that, that, that was absolutely very helpful. And another thing that was really great was that we managed to get a little bit of a, a sponsorship um, from the uh, Swedish Swedish uh, Signals Intelligence awesome. uh, Agency. <laughs> uh, so they got us. We so we rented a um, uh, like a conference uh, place essentially. So we had this huge conference room, and uh, a lot of people came to to Stockholm. So not not the whole team, but we were we were maybe like twenty twenty five people in this like uh, conference uh, location for like the whole weekend and like ordered food together and, and you know sitting together and hacking and we had the uh, like this dashboard thing on a projector and sometimes we switched to having the uh rockship ai uh, <laughs> visualizations uh, on the uh uh on the projector as well so that was overall just a very good uh i mean we did perform okay and especially since like you know we had a lot of beginners and, and so on so we were we were happy with that but it was also just a great like community event i think and like getting all these people from these different teams to meet and, and then talk to each other and collaborate on problems and so on um, we even had some people who took like the overnight train from denmark up to to stockholm to play with us in, in stockholm so that was yeah really that's cool. awesome and i think that's something that Very was cool. I, at least definitely on on the organizer side, we noticed that was severely lacking this year was not being in person, right? We were, our entire yeah, team was remote yeah. and it's just rough to do 48 hours of hacking. If you're not there physically with people, uh, I think we've already mentioned, we had people that went to bed and we couldn't wake them up to launch their challenge because they were, <laughs> they were asleep and we didn't have a good, you know, I keep calling them, but there's not much I can do. I can't reach over to them and just like, shake them awake which is what literally we've had to do sometimes during defcon somebody's asleep on a couch wake that person up because there's a problem with their challenge hand them a laptop yes exactly (laughs) Ah, then they start typing and everything uh goes good no but you guys did great i mean you know i think part of it is if you make it to defcon finals i think that's already very awesome and you know you get you uh you guys were 10th uh which was very cool so top 10 you know of of all these people and there's great teams here so I think it's and this was your first time playing as a big yep. team in Defcon Finals, right? Yeah, I mean, for I don't think any of us had actually played in the Defcon Finals uh, before, and we were basically saying, I mean, of course we wanted to perform as good as possible, like, but realistically, right. we were talking about like it would be good if we could get the top half. Yep. That would that was like a some kind of like realistic goal, and I think at some point we were up at like eighth or ninth place or something. But then towards the end we we fell off a little bit and then ended up in tenth place. But it was still like it was not like not at all something to be ashamed of. I think we were we we felt good about that. So yeah, I think it's it's important, like Adam said. I mean, the, these uh, every, every team on there you know, are, are made of incredible hackers that you see at pony racing that you, you know, they're, they're Olympians, right. Um, at the Olympics of hacking in some sense, Uh, I had a friend that went to, you know, the actual Olympics where you don't have to say the Olympics of block, (laughs) right. They went to the actual Olympics, uh, to throw javelin 
And, uh, you know, he didn't get a medal, but he was at the Olympics, right? That's, yeah. that's you know, yeah. That our, our, when I was playing, um, also, obviously, with Shellfish, our goal was always, let's make it there and have fun um, and, and, and do awesome stuff and see what happens. That's, I think yeah. it's a good, good way of approaching it um, as well. Especially, like, as a big team, first time, I mean, that lays the groundwork and the foundation right for the team that next year and i think there is inherently there's going to be a benefit to participating multiple times year over year not not just in in and obviously when the organizers change i think that becomes less relevant but you know as organizers it's we can't change everything all the time like that's that's just not something that that makes sense so you know if you already had like you you had this dashboard right but you know, if you had been competing for a few years, you probably would have already had a dashboard, so you could work on other parts of your infrastructure that get better and better over time. So, yeah, and so, we also realized that some of the challenges we had were maybe not the challenges we had anticipated. Right. So maybe you know the way we designed our because we were not able to build every communication or collaboration feature that we could right. think of. We had to kind of like you know find a subset of uh, uh, tools that we could reasonably build. So maybe, you know, for, for if we do this again, uh, we would know that, okay, but, you know, actually it would have been really helpful if we were able to do this thing uh, while working on, on, on the problems and so on. So, yeah. So what is, uh, what is next? Yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll see. I, I think it's, I think the, um, the consensus from, from the people who participated afterwards was like, uh, this was fun. Uh, Norse code will not be, like a team which competes in like all regular CTFs. We still have our own individual teams who will continue to play in regular CTFs. We talked about keeping it for uh, all like uh, attack and defense uh, mm -hmm. CTFs. So uh, there were discussions like just recently there was the, uh, the Hackeroni yeah. had a at AD mm -hmm. defense just recently. Unfortunately, it, nothing really uh, came of that, so I don't think we actually played. But those were the discussion. And then, of course, next year we'll see uh, if we if we do this again for for DefCon uh, next year. And I think everyone like liked it, and and we want to do it again. Uh, but there was there were of course you know challenges, and it was it was a little bit exhausting for for people involved. So. Uh, I the ambition is to to come back next year and play in the uh, qualifiers. And, uh, so, but you know, uh, we'll we'll see what happens. Basically, very cool. cool, awesome. So, any any other topics or anything you want to talk about? Anything we didn't cover that you're dying to get out there to the people? Um, oh yeah. So there's this. I mean, um, related to uh, the pony mm -hmm. racing thing. Uh, we're doing this thing uh, with uh, Google, so we're hosting this competition called uh, Hexcelerate, Ooh, which is, yeah, thanks. Uh, it, yeah, I'll have to credit someone who came up with it, but yeah. Uh, anyway, it's a, it's I think it's it's slightly inspired by by pony racing, but also uh, from like regular like game speedrunning events, you know, things like Games Done Quick and, and stuff like that. Uh, so it's. Uh, we took the top 16 teams uh, with some replacement, I think, from the Google uh, CTF. And they are competing in this uh, competition. So they were like four, four matches of four teams. And they're doing this thing where they're, they're playing this game that we have created. And also, so they're doing like game hacking challenges, but also mixed in, there are like regular CTF challenges. So occasionally they will like be stopped in their game progress and like, now you have to solve this uh, CTF 
uh, challenge. And and um, yeah, so like and we stream this and then commentary uh, similar to like pony racing. And then the you know winners of each match went on to to a finals. Awesome. And uh, uh, so this has been happening uh, now. So by by the time this episode gets released, we should have released these videos. Uh, on, on awesome i'll so... include links on those and this actually brings us full circle so now you're helping to develop a video game platform that is also a hacking game <laughs> <laughs> yeah no that was that was uh, super fun it was like a really really um actually uh, fun um, fun fact or like a, a bit, a bit uh, flattering was that the people who started to came up with this idea i was not part of the group who came up with this idea originally it was some other people uh, like Ginvel mm-hmm. and some other people at google uh, who started working on this and then at some point they were like uh, oh we should bring in um, like me for doing the like video production and video streaming and so nice. on since I had experience from uh, pony racing and then like a few months later they uh, get to know that I have actually been hired uh, by Google uh, so it's like oh well problem solved <laughs> <laughs> hey, like how can I get paid to do this and they're like we will solve that problem for you <laughs> Yeah, no, I mean, so the idea was to just, you know, bring me in right. for the event and maybe pay me a little bit right. or something. But then, then you know, I, I got an actual Amazing. job at Google. So then it was, that was, that sorted itself. Yeah, you better watch out. You, you know, once uh, CTFs finally makes it into the big leagues for esports, you and probably Jordan are going to be one of the first people that they throw up there to start <laughs> casting these things. <laughs> oh, yeah, that, that, that would be in fun. A, a stadium uh, full of uh, people just yelling, hack, 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 yeah. hack. <laughs> Yeah, that would be uh, that would be crazy. We've actually talked about we tried doing so when we did the final pony racing episode at CCC, uh, we were trying to get a slot on one of the uh, stages they have there. Mm-hmm. So we wanted to do the episode like uh-huh. on a stage, but uh, we didn't get a slot in the uh, in the schedule. So we just did it in one of these uh, like villages or workshop areas. Yeah, that makes uh, sense. Instead. Would be cool though to do something like an event. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's yeah. you know that's uh, I could see it going there. The you know the other side of that is always that it's so niche and it's like I think that's the thing that's impressed me the most about uh, pony racing is trying to solve this problem of how do you make what's going on in these crazy complex CTF cybersecurity challenges that people can actually understand what's happening yeah. and what's going on. I think it's yeah. it's. It's niche, like you say, because in part because it, this isn't done a lot, right? Right. Um, I think the concept is very approachable, and a lot of people actually have some of the underlying knowledge necessary to kind of follow along, especially with a bit of good explanation. But um, it's there's a bit of a chicken and egg problem where you say if you're going to uh, do some CTF thing on stage. And people might immediately think, okay, are we talking about sitting there staring at a screen in silence for, for 20, 30 minutes? Um, yeah, no. e- even if things already exist that, that show it's otherwise, um, not everyone knows about pony racing, right? Um, yeah. And it's also a challenge to get, like, even getting participants was mm-hmm. a challenge because... I mean, first of all, it's a niche area. So, you know, the, the, the number of people that you, the pool right. you have to choose from is not huge to start with. And then, you know, to say to these people that you're going to do this, but you're going to do it in front of a camera for like the whole world to like, you know, watch. And a lot of people are understandably not at all comfortable with this 
yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, because we all know that we we do we make these mistakes and we don't we don't always have progress. And, and then, like you know, you add some kind of like stage fright or so to that. You get stressed. Like uh, a lot of people don't find this a comfortable experience at all. Uh, so yeah, that's also a challenge with this. Yeah, exactly. I think there's something. There's almost like a weird social media type of thing, right? Where where people, you know, there, there's this problem with social media where people are curating their lives and only presenting the best versions, right? So everyone else kind of uh, sees that. They only see the good parts. And so when now, like you said, the, people are maybe less hesitant to, or very hesitant to kind of portray themselves as they are, right? That they make mistakes, things happen. Um, all those kinds of things are, are part and parcel of CTFs that people like to, you know, you want to curate your, um, your social media presence. Uh, great. Well, yeah, this has been uh, amazing. I mean, I, we really enjoyed uh, chatting with you today, Carl. Hopefully... I oh I forgot to say this, but I have a very you know a special place in my heart for Norse code. I'm kind of a um, my so the very long story, but my um, I'm not by blood Scandinavian, but my mom was adopted by and her family was a Norwegian, and so uh, oh. yeah, so I had Ludafisk for Christmas uh, growing up and all that nice. kind of stuff. So yeah, I, I my I say Ufta a lot, and so. Um, yeah, so I have a, you know this the the Norse code uh, has a deep place in my heart, and so I was very happy to see that that going on, and I'd love to see it uh, continue, and hopefully you know someday Jan and I can make it out over there and uh, say hi and visit everyone, and uh, I think that would be super fun. Yeah, no, that's awesome. Yeah, we also we also you know we liked it, we want to continue it, so we hope we'll we'll get around to do that. So and it was yeah really nice to be on the show. Uh, super cool. To yeah. Awesome. Cool. Looking well, forward uh, to seeing you at the top of more scoreboards. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> Maybe we can. Yeah, we can slightly push your your team members to <laughs> to start playing more. Yeah, Jan demands to see Norse code on the scoreboard. So come on, come on. Yeah, I, yeah. They got great t. I will bring this message to exactly. The, they got great t shirts. They got great. Yeah. You know, uh, what more do you need? Really good logo, good website. I like yeah. the website. It's also. It's, very much a minor point but it's very frustrating to try to understand who all these teams are so i very much appreciate that the norse code website says here we are and here's all the teams that we are composed of so we can easily look at it and understand what's going on rather than just some random name that's like a clever mix of other people's names that we have to somehow find out about so i did appreciate that so thank thank the team <laughs> on behalf of us yeah that was I will definitely. Cool. So thanks for joining us today, everybody out there. I'm Adam D, and you can find me on Twitter at Adam Dupay. He's Zardis. You can find him on Twitter at Zardis. And together we're CTF Radio, and you can find us online on YouTube or Twitter at CTF Radio OOO with three O's. And you can send us questions through email at CTFRadio at gmail.com. Again, three O's. And who knows? Maybe we'll use your questions on an upcoming episode. So take care and happy hacking. See ya. Happy hacking. <laughs>